Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon. This is Dean Finale with Politics and Life Science Radio. Thank you for joining us where we talk about all the issues in the life science industry and the politics that drive the industry. I'm very happy this afternoon to have Dr. Mark Sirota with us. Dr. Sirota wears a lot of different hats. He's a dermatologist, an immunologist, and specializes in pediatrics as well. So uh, really lucky to have him today. We'll bring Dr. Sirota on in a couple minutes. Before we do so, let's recap some of the stories that are uh, hot in the life science industry. Uh, with the talk of all the, these COVID vaccines and the speed at which they were developed, there's now a lot of talk about what other diseases can we treat with vaccines. And certainly uh, in the news, there's been a lot of uh, science and R&D going on uh, as it relates to cancer vaccines, using the body's immune system to uh, as we mature and the immune system drops down, giving the body uh, a vaccine to help it fight off cancer. Uh, certainly HIV has been uh, talked about as well. Uh, the Trying to find a vaccine for HIV seems like it's been going on for decades now, but luckily uh, the drugs we have at hand tend to keep that at bay. So, But certainly there's still nonetheless a need for uh, a vaccine for HIV. Uh, but that's a story for another day. We'll talk about um, some other issues with uh, Dr. Sirota as well related to children getting kids back to school. Uh, Dr. Fauci has said we are moving in the wrong direction when it comes to uh, getting people vaccinated, this Delta variant. And uh, we're seeing a lot of the hospitalizations and deaths that are currently occurring are in the unvaccinated group of people, which is really unfortunate when you have these tools available uh, that people were still hearing about a lot of people that just won't take the, uh, the vaccines. And certainly, you know, it's a personal decision that we've talked about a lot in the past, but uh, when you look at the virus, when you look at the vaccines, when you weigh each, uh, you know, really, especially when you think about this Delta variant and how quickly it seems that the virus is now spreading amongst unvaccinated people. Uh, I think earlier this year in the spring, uh, we were doing really, really well uh, in excellent position. Now it seems like we're taking a couple steps back. So hopefully uh, people that are maybe using misinformation or just not wanting to uh, get it just for the purpose of not getting the vaccine will change their minds and protect themselves. But nonetheless, uh, again, Dr. Fauci has, suggested that, you know, this is a 
really a an unnecessary predicament we're in based on the facts that we have these three vaccines authorized in the U.S. and a lot of the, if not most, 99% of the cases that are starting to uh, hit hospitals and the deaths that we're seeing are amongst unvaccinated people. So that is definitely very concerning. Uh, and we're also hearing, you know, a lot of people are starting to have this change of heart when it's too late. There was recently a story uh, about uh, newscasters and radio hosts who previously were uh, very adamant and spreading uh, information about why people shouldn't get vaccines. Now that they've gotten the virus, they've completely changed their tune. So I think, you know, there's a lot we don't know about the virus. Uh, there's a lot, you know, people have, I guess, filled in misinformation with regard to the vaccines. But nonetheless, uh, you know, over a billion people have gotten the vaccines and at least the Pfizer vaccine. They seem like they're relatively uh, the side effects and adverse effects. And, you know, if you consider the, the deaths that are uh, have been attributed to uh, anecdotally to the vaccines, they are still very, very safe. Um, I'd like to bring on our guest now, Dr. Mark Sirota. Dr. Sirota is triple board certified in dermatology, allergy, asthma, and immunology, and pediatrics. He completed his uh, pediatrics residency at Cohen's Children's Hospital in New York, then completed an allergy, asthma, and immunology fellowship at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. And then he completed a second residency in dermatology at the University of Colorado. So Dr. Sirota knows a lot of stuff, so we're lucky to have him today. Dr. Sirota, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to ask you to put your immunology hat on first, because I know you wear a lot of hats. But how do you, um, we, we're hearing about this Delta variant and uh, people that have vac have been vaccinated seem like they're protected. People who aren't vaccinated seem they're at their, like they're at a higher likelihood because of the increased transmissibility of getting the virus. Uh, how do you feel about it? Are you concerned about this Delta variant or is it uh, the type of thing where, you know, people were in the same situation, except we basically just have a variant that's more transmissible? Yeah, that's a great question. So the Delta variant in and of itself doesn't concern me that much because the vaccines are still effective against it, uh, assuming that people are getting vaccinated. But the variant is very instructive for people that are hesitant about getting vaccinated because viruses cannot live outside of human cells. They can't. They use our own cells, our machinery to replicate itself. So they can only do that so long as they have a reservoir to do that, which is people who are not vaccinated. So if we allow the virus to continue to spread that way, eventually it will continue to mutate itself until we have a variant where the vaccines don't work against it, in which case we'll be back in the exact same position that we were a year ago, where now we have a virus that has no effective vaccine against it. So we have a window of time where it's absolutely critical that we vaccinate people so that our bodies can stop being used as a reservoir for the virus to be able to mutate itself. Now, is that just a matter of time? You know, when we talk about a variant popping up that that the vaccines wouldn't be effective against, is that, in, in your opinion, or maybe it's statistical, is that just a matter of time before a variant pops up that the vaccines uh, aren't effective against? Yeah, I, th I think it's a, it's a statistical probability, given enough time, if the virus is allowed to continue to replicate. It's the reason that we get the flu shot every year, because the proteins that we target for the vaccine, the virus then mutates and shifts itself so that we have to create a new flu shot each year. 
And the same is true for COVID. Now, one good thing about COVID is it has an Achilles heel, which is the spike protein, where we can target that in particular, which is a fairly ubiquitous protein throughout uh, the coronavirus variants. But given enough time and enough replication cycles within cells, eventually the virus will mutate itself to something that we have that's, that's much less effective. So we're going to constantly try to stay on top of the variants when boosters come out. They'll account for whatever variant is thought to be the prevalent variant for that time period. But if we don't vaccinate enough of our population, then the virus will be allowed to, to mutate itself to the point where we won't have something effective. And now that, that is the, the fear and will be a potential reality. And you mentioned boosters, and we've heard, you know, Pfizer's uh, CEO came out, I guess it was maybe two weeks ago, and said, hey, boosters are going to be necessary. And then the CDC and FDA walked that back and said, we don't know yet. What's your thoughts on that? Do you think at this point, seeing where we are, uh, do you feel that a booster is probably uh, in the cards for people? It's interesting. I think it's more of a policy question than a scientific question at this point. I think scientifically, we'd be comfortable saying that, for the time period that the vaccine has been studied, which is about a year, that's as long as the virus has been out, that people do maintain their immune response, which is a fantastic thing. But from a policy perspective, we can't allow ourselves to get wrong-footed where a variant comes out where the vaccine is less effective. So the boosters are partially about boosting your immunity to what you currently were vaccinated against, but it's much more about kind of, let's say, updating your operating system that you're running the latest software for what is currently out there in the world, which is the same reason we get annual flu shots. So I expect that we will be getting boosters for, against COVID, uh, you know, I would say for many years to come, you know, probably the same time frame that you get your flu shot. That's interesting. And, and I would suspect that's the case, especially, you know, it's one thing if the U.S., we get our hands around this and we get our population vaccinated to the necessary extent. But, you know, when you look at South America, you know, Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, most of those regions, you know, are not even vaccinating 10% of their population. So I think going back to your point about, you know, having this reservoir of people for the vaccine, the virus to, uh, to grow and to mutate, I, I think that's even more of a, a case that of the likelihood of boosters, you know, given the fact that, you know, our borders aren't completely shut at this point. I guess we are taking some um, means by requiring people to, you know, show a negative test and other uh, criteria that that TSA is using and the government's using to keep people out. But it just seems like with the the amount of people in the world that aren't populated yet, we're going to continue to see variants. Is that kind of a, a correct line of thinking? That's right. It's a global problem. I mean, the initial virus didn't come out of the U.S., you know, it, you know, it came out of China. So just like that happened, a variant could develop in another country because we didn't help them get vaccinated. And ultimately, you could see, obviously, it affected us, even though the virus didn't originate you know, in the U.S. So it, it, the same is true of the variant. So we have to do our part to try to get the rest of the world vaccinated for the same reason that we have to get the U.S. vaccinated. And that's part of the reason why you're, it's a production issue. You have to produce mass amounts of vaccine, and we're going to have to do that for a long period of time. So whether it's for this current vaccine or a modified vaccine to cover for variants, you know, in the form of a booster, this is something that's going to be in our lives, you know, indefinitely in terms of vaccination. And I think the sooner people just wrap their head around that it's really a society problem and a global problem, uh, the more people will get vaccinated. You know, it's like, I'd love to drive 150 miles an hour, you know, down the street, but society says I can't do that. And I'd like to not wear a seatbelt maybe, but society says I can't do that. And, 
vaccinations and other things like that where, you know, we don't live in an individual world. We live in a society world and society says that we can't do that because it just it affects all of us way too negatively to allow people to make make an individual decision on something that is so clearly uh, a benefit to society. Yeah, and speaking of those societal issues, you know, there's there's debate right now. We're hearing kids are going back to school this fall, and certain states are saying that they won't require masks for kids. I mean, we know at this point, you know, 12 and under, they're not even eligible to get a vaccine yet. You know, to me, it just seems like a no-brainer. You you put kids in school, you, you should have them wearing masks. You know, what what's your thoughts on that? Is that uh, do you agree with that, or yeah, is there I mean, some, something I'm missing? No, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, we live in the U.S. and we value our freedoms. And I, I certainly value mine. I think that's important. But there are certain times where so- something that's good for the group, we have to sacrifice as an individual. And we're not talking about a major sacrifice here. You know, there's times where our federal government implements a draft and says, you know, if you're between the ages of 18 and 21, you have to go fight in a war overseas because we tell you society needs you to do that. You know, in this case, we're asking you to put a mask on your face or, or get a vaccine that is going to benefit your health and the health of, of society in general. So I don't really think it's a big ask. And if you ask, if you ask any healthcare professional, you know, 99.99% of them are going to say the same people who said, you know, you're our heroes, you're on the front line, you're our soldiers, are the same people that refuse to wear masks and get vaccinated. I mean, there's no bigger slap in the face that you could do to, to someone that you want to respect and honor. The way to respect and honor them is, is to do the simple things that you can do uh, to help us because Right now, the admissions in the hospital are virtually all people that have chosen not to get vaccinated. And even when they're in the hospital on oxygen, some of them are still indignant about getting vaccinated. And, you know, when, if you really want to honor the healthcare people that, that helped during this pandemic, you know, these are the simple things that you can do to, to actually really honor them. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you know, when we go into the hospital and when you, we saw last year people going into the hospital and there were always, you know, healthcare workers were there 24-7 helping people. So I couldn't agree more. Uh, have you seen based on, you know, your experience, has any of this anti-vaccination, uh, rhetoric as it relates to COVID-19 kind of bled over to, uh, you know, childhood vaccines that we just kind of take for granted, uh, specifically are, are any people that do you think people who are against the, the COVID vaccines are now starting to think, Hey, you know, these other vaccines that have, basic, you know, in my opinion, saved millions of lives probably are, you know, are they starting to say we don't need those either? Or, or is this kind of anti-vaxxer sentiment kind of limited to, to COVID-19? Um, I think there's two camps there. One, one camp is people who are just anti-vaccine in general. And that's actually a pretty small percent of people. Most people do recognize that vaccines are, are, you know, probably the greatest single medical invention in human history. Uh, but then there's a, a group of people that are comfortable with vaccines, but then just don't want the COVID vaccine in particular. And the most common reason I hear is just that it, it's too new. There has not enough out there on it. And that's just not a valid scientific argument to make. I actually am a medical expert for vaccine injury cases. And I actually, um, you know, I've, I've been a medical expert for people who have legitimately been injured by a vaccine. And the difference is your immune system has a certain time frame that it operates under, and it's about two months. So if you're going to have an injury from a vaccine, if it's after 60 days after you got the vaccine, no one even would believe that it's correlated with the vaccine because that's just not how your immune system responds. It responds much faster than that. 
So the, the studies that were done looking three months out into adverse effects before it was approved for emergency use is a totally reasonable period of time. The fact that the technology existed to develop the vaccine so fast is just a function of amazing technology, science, and really good luck that they'd already been working on this mRNA technology. But the actual adverse effects timeline was never going to change. It was always going to be that. And I'll give you one other quick example, which is most, in most studies, you have a placebo group that didn't get the treatment and you follow that group out to 52 weeks. There are very rare circumstances where you allow the placebo group to get the treatment prior to that. It's usually in cancer studies where the drug is so good at, at, at destroying the cancer, you say, it would be unethical of us not to allow these people to get their cancer treatment and wait 52 weeks when this drug clearly is so much, so much better. It'd be unethical of us to do that. They took that step with the vaccine and said, the vaccine is so effective at preventing deaths from COVID, that it would be unethical of us to make people wait in the placebo group out to 52 weeks. That in and of itself should tell you a lot about the safety of the vaccine and why it's so much in favor of getting vaccinated. Yeah, that's great information. So when we talk about, you know, these loss of lives and, you know, you look at these, certainly there are some issues that, you know, we've heard about the uh, blood clots from the J&J vaccine. And there are some legitimate side effects that I think these vaccines have. But, you know, if you could tell people generally, you know, when you look at the safety of these vaccines, you know, when I look at how many people have gotten these vaccines and how rare the effects are, you know, you have to believe that these are extremely safe. Is, is there some other way to convince people that these are safe? Or is it, as you said earlier, that's just a group of people that are, are just being anti-vaxxers? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think in the camp of people that are not just anti-vaxxers, which honestly I think is most people, most people want to make the decision that's going to be the benefit, the best benefit for their health and their family. And, but the problem is people aren't used to looking at hard scientific data. They don't know what a p-value is or you know, the number needed to treat analysis or some of the actual statistical ways that we look at these things. So it goes a little bit more on feeling. And I could totally appreciate that on feeling the, the vaccine hasn't been out that long. When you look at the risk benefit analysis of what happens if you're likely to get COVID versus what happens if what versus what happens if you get vaccinated? I mean, it's, it's so in favor of vaccination that it's, it's that the risk benefit ratio is essentially off the scale. The other point I would make is viruses cause things later in life, right? So, you know, people get mono and then in their adult years, they're more likely to get lymphoma. People get the HPV vaccine and get genital warts and later in life, they're more likely to get cervical cancer. People get chicken pox and later in life, they get shingles. What happens after you get COVID 20, 30 years later? I don't know. And nobody does. What happens when your kid gets COVID 20 years later, something bad happened to their lungs? I don't know. I hope not, but it's a pretty nasty virus. And we do have evidence of that with other viruses. So you have to weigh the, the risk of actually getting infected, not just today and say, I'm healthy, I might not get that sick, or I don't get, not get sick at all. What happens 20 years later, your body, when you allow a virus to invade it? With COVID, we don't know the answer to that. So I think that's another safety thing. People don't calculate the risk of what happens when you actually get infected, not just today, but what happens to your body years later, what kind of transformations can happen. As far as the safety with the vaccine itself, it's an incredibly safe vaccine. We've had basically the largest study in human history. You know, you talked about, I think, a billion, a billion people. Uh, you know, this is, this is no longer a new treatment. This is like the largest treatment group in the history of the world. And if there was a, a safety signal that was going to pop up, that would raise concern. 
it would be found. And the blood clots actually being found with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, that was a very rare thing. Um, but, but they found it very, very quickly because they're monitoring that. So, so it, sh- it should actually give you more confidence in the system rather than make you concerned about getting vaccinated. I couldn't agree more. Dr. Sirota, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you, and that information was extremely helpful. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. That was Dr. Mark Sirota. Dr. Sirota is a dermatologist, allergy, asthma, and immunology specialist, and also uh, did a residency in pediatrics as well. We want to thank him for joining us today. And thank you as well for joining us. It was a pleasure having you and look forward to talking to you next time. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.